Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16, verses 9 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We therefore set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we continue in our Easter series this week, entitled The Way Disciples Act, and as we focus specifically on how disciples welcome I have reflected on some of the ways the disciples here at First United Methodist Church in Montgomery welcomed me when I got here four years ago. A couple such stories deeply resonate with me still today. The first story is actually the first person that I met on my very first day in the office. You heard her name listed on our hospital list a few moments ago, Joan Wilson. Joan, if you are watching this morning, then know that you are prayed over and you are so very loved. But shortly after I arrived on my first day, I was walking down the hallway of the main floor of the Fellowship Hall building, and I hear an loud and enthusiastic, just who I wanted to see, from someone that I did not recognize or know. The woman says, I'm Joan Wilson, and I want you to know that no matter what happens, and no matter what anyone might end up thinking about you or saying about you, as long as you greet me with a hug, I will love you. As first day nerves had built up, this intentional word of welcome from someone that I did not know offered me immense comfort. Likewise, another welcome from the first person I met on my first Sunday made me feel again welcomed and at home. This welcome came from a saint living among us, Lorna Bell. Lorna Bell was at the 845 service, and if you don't know Lorna Bell, she is the type of person that you need to get to know. She was the first member of the church that I met on my first Sunday, and Lorna said, Hi, Lucas. My name is Lorna Bell. I just want you to know that every time I see you, I'm going to say, Hi, I'm Lorna Bell, 
until you're able to say, hi, Lorna Bell, first. <laughs> Don't you worry about how long it takes you, because I know that there are a lot more new names for you to learn than there are for me to learn. In that moment, Lorna's welcome and intentional offering of grace, even before I needed it, positively affected my first Sunday and the days that followed. And it should be noted that because of this act, I learned Lorna, Lorna Bell's name pretty quickly. <laughs> the Holy Spirit can do, do unbelievable things with us when we bring intentionality and vulnerability together. Our scripture reading this morning tells us the story of Paul, Silas, Luke, and Lydia in a way where the Holy Spirit is moving through vulnerability and intentionality as the story teaches us the importance of disciples being welcoming. Our story starts with Paul and his companions in Troas. Troas is an area of Asia Minor in modern-day Turkey. Prior to today's passage, Paul finds that the Spirit is not leading them east, further into Asia, as they might have thought. But as our passage starts, we find that Paul has a vision where a man of Macedonia pleads with him to come to Macedonia and help them. Macedonia is across the Aegean Sea from where they are in Troas. And perhaps most interesting or most important, it is in Europe. As these unfamiliar to us locations, cities, and regions are rattled off over the course of just a few verses, it may seem meaningless to us, but it really isn't. In our documented knowledge at this point, there's no reason to believe that Paul, prior to this story, had ever been to Europe, much less to Macedonia. So Paul and his friends take on this level of vulnerability in following the vision and the guiding of the Holy Spirit to go to a place that they had never been before. For the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they make this decision to follow the Spirit's lead and travel on uncharted waters and show vulnerability in going to a place they have not been to. When they get to Macedonia, after a bit of travel, they stop in Philippi, which is in modern-day Greece. So start in Asia, now in Europe, in Greece. As verse 12 says, it is a leading city in a Roman colony. There is a sense of risk and vulnerability in stopping in this powerful Roman city. Throughout Paul's travels, documented in Acts and in his letter, Paul has a bit of a process that he typically follows when he arrives in a new place. Moving throughout the Roman Empire, Paul knows good and well that it would be a dangerous idea to post up in the street and preach for Christianity. That might be seen as troublemaking, and the empire did not like troublemakers. So, what Paul would typically do in a new place is that he would find the local synagogue where people were at 
least curious about the God of Scripture and proclaim the good news to them in relational ways. With that said, it goes a little different here in our Scripture reading today. Verse 13 talks of how Paul and his companions on the Sabbath go outside the city gates to the river where there was a place of prayer. We might be led to wonder why this is the case. Why does Paul not go to the synagogue in Philippi? Why does he go down to the river to this place of prayer? The likely answer is that there was no synagogue in Philippi which likely tells us that there was not the minimum of 10 Jewish men in all of Philippi required to constitute the establishment of a synagogue. This tells us that this population does not have a large base of people familiar with much background at all as to what Paul and his friends have come to preach. This European city is different from what Paul and his companions have been used to. It takes another level of intentionality and vulnerability on Paul's part to give spreading the good news a try in this place where the odds are not in their favor. But Paul shows the vulnerability in trusting the Spirit's lead into a place that is different than places that he is used to, and his efforts come to pay dividends. From there, we transition towards the vulnerability and hospitality and intentionality of the women of Philippi, and specifically of Lydia. As they find time to be in prayer and worship, not within the city, but on the outskirts, on the fringes, by the river, they could be overcome by the fear and risk that it takes to welcome in these foreign people that are Paul and his friends. But there is a magic in that they do not become overwhelmed or overcome by that fear of other, but they're vulnerable, and they take this risk in including and welcoming them to sit down among them. On top of that, we have the next level vulnerability, hospitality, and intentionality that is Lydia, who ends up being a beacon of what it means to be a welcoming disciple. Scripture gives us the details that this certain woman, Lydia, is one, a worshiper of God. Two, that she is from the city of Thyatira. And three, that she is a dealer in purple cloth. First, Lydia being described not as a Jewish woman, but as a worshiper of God, tells us a lot about her. Lydia is not here on this Sabbath day at this time of prayer because of a long-standing genealogical family tradition, but she is there because she is a seeker of God. She is a non-Jewish person that is fascinated or at least curious by the God that she has discovered in Hebrew scriptures. She makes herself exceedingly vulnerable, seeking a religion not because it is her upbringing, but because it is one that the Holy Spirit has led her to. Second, the scripture specifying that she is from the city of Thyatira 
reveals to us that she is not just a non-Jewish person worshiping at this place of prayer, but she's also not from Philippi. She herself is a Gentile foreigner, vulnerable in coming to be at this place of prayer, and importantly, being a beneficiary of the vulnerability of the Jewish women of Philippi that welcomed her there. And thirdly, her profession tells us even more in that she is a dealer in purple cloth. What might sound like a simple textile industry to our 21st century North American ears is far more than that. Purple dye in this era and area of the world was produced by boiling marine snails. Who wants to sign up? Um, this made dyeing cloth purple and having enough of it for purple clothing a costly endeavor. And it doesn't say that she made the purple cloth, but that Lydia was a dealer of the purple cloth. Because of the difficult, costly endeavor that making and acquiring purple cloth was, purple cloth was typically reserved for royalty and social elite. Lydia, though a Gentile foreigner, had found herself succeeding in a privileged industry. One can imagine that succeeding in this industry would require significant social networking and social awareness. One might assume that being in this industry would require significant social capital. This tells us even more about the vulnerability that Lydia has and even being where she is at this riverside. She is at a Sabbath worship service for a religion not popular enough to justify a place of worship within the city gates. Her clients might very well be put off by her involvement in this, especially this new movement around Jesus. Lydia is risk-taking. She is vulnerable. She is risking livelihood to seek out the grace of God and welcome it into her home. A few verses later is evidence of that. Paul and Silas are thrown in prison after some Philippians say of them in the city, these Jews are disturbing our city. Lydia is putting everything on the line because the Lord has opened her heart and she knows that there is something more than the things of this world. After hearing the gospel message, she didn't just come to believe, but she comes to do so much more. She comes to be baptized. It is hard for us to say for sure, but many scholars believe that it is quite possible that Lydia is the first Christian convert in all of Europe. That is a powerful testimony to the power of vulnerability and hospitality shown in the story. It doesn't just stop there, but she has her entire household baptized. Just as we baptized Theodore McBride at the 845 service this morning into the family of God, thanks to the leadership and dedication of his parents, Ethan and Laura, through the leadership of Lydia, her whole Gentile household is baptized into the family of God as well. And it doesn't even stop there. 
Most vulnerably and hospitably of all, Lydia invites Paul and his companions to come and stay at her home. And they go and stay. Later, at the end of chapter 16, following Paul and Silas's imprisonment in Philippi, the final verse of the chapter says, after leaving the prison, they went back to Lydia's home. And when they had seen and encouraged the brothers and sisters there, they departed. It isn't just that Lydia had the vulnerability and hospitality to invite the stranger missionaries, Paul, Silas, Luke, and whoever else into her home, but it seems as if she invited the Christian church in Philippi to be born out of her home. A powerful testimony to what the vulnerability and hospitality of one person can lead to as we see this Philippian church blossom and grow. This is not just one church among many in the growth of Christian movement, but it is a pivotal one, evidenced simply by flipping through the pages of the New Testament. In doing so, we see that this Christian community received a letter entitled Philippians that would be canonized and immortalized in Scripture. All thanks to Lydia. Within that letter, Paul writes, I thank my God for every remembrance of you, always in every one of my prayers for all of you, praying with joy for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. This story is evidence that vulnerability, hospitality, and welcoming someone in can change and transform the church and the world. Well-known University of Houston and University of Texas professor, professor and researcher Brene Brown says of vulnerability, vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. Vulnerability is the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. She also says, staying vulnerable is a risk we have to take if we want to experience connection. Personal vulnerability, like Lydia and Paul showed, is essential for us to experience Christian community and connection in our corner of the world. But perhaps more importantly, personal vulnerability and hospitality is essential as we seek to help others find Christian connection and Christian community. Vulnerability and hospitality are two of the key components of being welcoming disciples. There is a powerful reality in the truth that disciples act vulnerably which runs counter to personal security, personal comfort, and individualism that is so often called for in this world. We're called to extend hospitality, even to strangers. For as Hebrews says, by doing so, some have entertained angels without knowing it. So if disciples act by welcoming, how might we all do our part? Well, first, we continue to have the spirit of growth we have here at First United Methodist Church. 
We continue to act with the hospitality that leads to more and more people joining the church each week. We have grown to hear time and time again at new member dessert parties how a person was intentionally invited and that that brought them to come. We've heard again and again how when they came, they found the church to be incredibly welcoming. Continue in that work. We continue to have the hospitality that leads families to bring their households to be baptized. We continue to offer, lead, and participate in vibrant ministries. But most importantly, perhaps, we offer vulnerable and hospitable words of welcome to strangers and friends. We take a chance to look around the sanctuary, see someone that we don't know, whose story we don't know, and we say, hi, I'm so-and-so. Would you like to come sit on my pew with me today? Or would you like to go to lunch with my family after worship today? Or I would love for you to come try out my Sunday school class if you don't already have one or simply welcome to the church. I'm thrilled that you're here. Being United Methodist means that we care about connection. And sometimes the most important thing that we can remember in showing hospitality to strangers is that the worst thing that someone can say in response to our hospitable invitation is no. The beauty of creating Christian connection is also that it's not isolated to the walls of the church, but we can be disciples that welcome wherever we go. We can have evangelical fervor wherever we go. Perhaps we see someone in our neighborhood yearning for Christian connection, whether we know it or not, and all they need is someone to vulnerably welcome them to come sit on their pew. Perhaps we have a friend without a church home that is interested in God and community like Lydia, and all they need to transform their corner of the world is your vulnerability and invitation to welcome them into discipleship. Or perhaps you just want to get a little crazy and simply invite a stranger to come to church. You have permission to welcome in that way too. Perhaps my favorite thing about the story of Lydia's conversion is that we know nothing of the words that Paul preached down by that riverside outside of Philippi that day. The sermon is not documented. We don't even get a single quote from it. But it transformed the world. The words of Paul in that story, the sermon, are not the most important part of the story. What we do know is that people who were vulnerable, people were hospitable, and people were welcoming. And disciples were made, and through them, the world was transformed. Go and do likewise. To the glory of God. Amen.